Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Well, hi everyone. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Krista DeVoe, who was diagnosed with Crohn's disease 18 years ago at the age of nine and is now enjoying a new lease on life with the addition of Stella, her stoma, that she got just over a year ago. She's here to share her journey with Crohn's, including her experiences with feeding tubes and surgery, and how she's balancing life and IBD now. Thank you so much for joining me today, Krista, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. So you've had quite a journey battling Crohn's disease since the age of nine. So why don't you start by telling me a little bit about what it was like to be so young and have Crohn's disease and how you finally got your diagnosis? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I um, started getting sick probably, it was, I would say eight years old. Um, mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I was going to school and I would come back from school and I would, you know, I would nap all day, like all afternoon. I wouldn't go play with my friends and I um, had a lot of abdominal pain and cramping and um, I had lots of diarrhea, but I always, like, I didn't really clue in that that, that was, you know, that that was, that was something wrong or um you know, I, I guess I was yeah. so young, but my at eight was, years old, how would you have any idea? Right, like that was to me that was normal. Um, so um, my mother was like, "Well, okay, like something's not right." And I was, I was actually like the color of the walls. I was really, really white, really pale. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they brought me to the, the um, our family doctor, and they did some blood work, and they the blood work came back and they said, you know, um, it's just low iron, like take some iron pills. And my mom was like, you know, um, I think, I don't think that's it. Like, I think uh-huh. there is something else. So, uh, she followed her, her gut and we, we went Wait, mom, you right. Yeah. Um, so she, we went, we traveled three hours, um, to the children's hospital and it was almost immediate. Um, when, like when they saw me they're like it's probably Crohn's disease like we'll do all these tests um to confirm and sure enough like I've I went for scopes and I all kinds of other things like it's kind of a blur um Mm -hmm. but then they diagnosed me and then I was on a feeding tube um so it was kind of the like I went there and within a week like my life changed drastically so I came yeah. out of the hospital a week later, I had a feeding tube, like, you know, so it was, everything changed in, in, within a week. Tell me what that was like as a child, what the experience of having a feeding tube was like, and maybe looking back and reflecting on it now, what kind of advice would you maybe give to parents mm-hmm. who have a child with a feeding tube? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, thinking back, like, you know, having a feeding tube as a child, I was really lucky because I had really good experience with that. I, I'm from a small town, so 
when, you know, as soon as I came back, like everyone pretty much knew and everyone was pretty accepting of it. Like, um, especially like at school, like my friends were super protective. Um, I, you know, nobody made fun of me or anything like that. Like my teachers were super accommodating. Like they kept, um, a box of freeze like of popsicles and stuff in in the cafeteria because I couldn't eat Mm -hmm. any solid food at that point so I was lucky to have um lots of support like my my friends they wanted to have a feeding tube they're like can we just try like just try it for a day and I was like I don't think (laughs) you want to (laughs) try not sure how you're gonna try that one (laughs) right um and, but then, you know, they even like brought, um, dolls to school when they put like yarn, um, where their nose was to like resemble a feeding tube just to kind of make me feel like I wasn't alone. And, you know, so I had a really good support. So really, That's I can't, awesome. yeah. Um, but I know it's not like that for, for other people. Um, I just, I think I was just really lucky with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I guess advice um, for that I would give to parents who have a child with a feeding tube is just to treat you normally. Like just like I, I never wanted special treatment. I didn't want. I wanted to just be just like my friends. I wanted to do the same things like them. I didn't want you know people to feel bad for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that's still how it is today. Like I don't. I don't like people to pity me. Like, that's not why I share. That's, it's, you know, just to normalize it and, and to raise awareness, really. Yeah, which is important. And yeah, you actually sure. had a feeding tube years later as an adult. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, I actually had one last year. Mm-hmm. What was it like to have one as an adult to be older and go through that? again was it different or it it was actually I didn't realize like how how much it would bring back memories um and you know I I know I talked a lot about how it was positive but also like how it made me feel like I remember like when I first had it like I didn't I didn't look in the in like any mirror because I didn't like the way it looked um so it kind of brought back like kind of like negative memories and I and it was something my doctor had talked about even years before I had it last year before my surgery and I was just hesitant because I was like I can't I can't do that like I can't do that as an adult like I, I was like I don't know how I did it as a child but I was like I don't think I can do it now you know and I don't think you know, I was worried about what people at work would think. And I was like, well, how am I supposed to teach a kindergarten class with a tube in my nose? I was like, my sister used to pull it out accidentally when Aww. she was young. And so, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's one, one child. So I can't imagine being surrounded, <laughs> surrounded all the time and having no personal space. So I, I was, I said, no, I don't want it. But um, right before my surgery, I was hospitalized for about 10 days and they were like, you know, I think this is the best option. And, and I went ahead with it because it was only for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm really glad I did in the end because it really did help. And what was the driving factor of getting the feeding tube? It sounds like your Crohn's, you've had a lot of 
ups and downs, it sounds like. I know in some of your posts, you've mentioned that you've tried every medication under the sun. So yeah, tell me a little bit about kind of that Crohn's journey of after your diagnosis and then through the years leading up to, I guess, the feeding tube and then your surgery, because your life is completely different now from mm -hmm. what it seems. So tell me a little bit more about that journey and the process of, of getting here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like I said, I was diagnosed really young. Um, I had my feeding tube from like age nine to I was, I, I was in like eighth grade, I think when I stopped my tube feeds. Um, so about four years. Um, Could you have any solid food during that time? I did. So I went periods of time, like especially when I was flaring or, um, where I would go periods of time, like, you know, eight weeks, um, mm -hmm. just liquid diet. And then after I would, I could, um, reintroduce foods into my diet and stuff like that. Um, so I did, I did those, um, for four years. And by the end, like when I was, um, you know, in eighth grade, seventh grade and eighth grade, my mom would take my feeding tube out in the morning before I went to school. Cause I only needed to um, night feeds back then so um, so then I could kind of hide all of that and kind of just leave that behind so when I went to school I could just be like my friends and a lot of my friends like my close friends knew but not not everybody it wasn't you know I didn't I didn't want that kind of attention um, yeah and that's when I started um, in eighth grade I started um, I dropped the tube feeds and then I went on to um, the study with uh, Remicade that was a very like it was brand new drug um so when I was on Remicade for gosh it was probably about six years um and it was working really well and that's I actually achieved, like I got into remission there for a little while not it wasn't too long um maybe only a couple of months or something like that um, was that your first time in remission mm -hmm, yes wow um so and Ever since then, I haven't really been in remission. It's been up and down. Um, and then I, you know, prednisone, um, short doses of prednisone. Um, and in the 12th grade, I remember the, my doctor had called me and he said, you need to come see me right away. So I went to see him and he said, you know, we need to, um, you need to have surgery for your, like, for my first um, bowel resection. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was, I think, 16, 16 years old. Um, and so that, that surgery went really, really well. Um, I felt really good after like recovery was, was like so fast. I don't know if it was mm -hmm. because I was so young. Um, I was out of the hospital back home, I think within three days. Wow. Um, so it was really fast. Um. And a couple months later, I went on my, on a grad trip to Europe and like, that was a lot of walking and like, I was fine. And, um, and then I went into university, uh, and in, I was able to live pretty normal. Like I was still getting my Remicade treatments. I was, and then, you know, um, seeing, I was being seen by my doctor and changing meds, after a while, um, Remicade stopped working. Um, I tried Humira. 
in high doses. Um, I think I was injecting two pens a week. Um, and it wasn't doing anything. I tried, you know, Stellar and all those biologics. And yeah. all of them. Know, <laughs> yeah, all of them. And um, that was back in Nova Scotia. So then once I finished my Bachelor of Arts degree, I was like, you know, my husband wanted to move um, to Alberta, Canada. So we said, okay, like, let's go. Um, so we moved out here um, and I went into my education degree. And I don't know if it's from <laughs> the stress of moving, the stress of being in a whole new, like, province and a whole new city without my family. Like, it was a super stressful time. But then all of a sudden my symptoms, like, were coming back, like, full force. Like, mm -hmm. I had never really been that sick. Like, I didn't ever really consider myself to be sick until... I guess the last like five, six years because um, I was experiencing a lot of like abdominal pain, bloating. Um, well, like the year that I was finishing my degree. And um, so after that, um, my, my surgeon was like, you know, you need to, you need to have surgery. You have like a partial, partial um, bowel obstruction um, and I, I said, okay, like, just let me finish my school, like schooling, let me walk across the stage and then we can go right into it. Like it's, I just want, I need to finish this. This is like, to me, it was super important that I finished my schooling and then, and then I could focus on my health. I don't know if that was like, yeah. the best decision, but <laughs> that's what I decided to do. Um, cause I'm stubborn yeah. like that. So I've noticed a lot of us with IBD have very stubborn tendencies and we yeah. kind of, it's a lot of mind over matter sometimes of let me just get through this hurdle and then I'll and worry then, about Chrome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then totally. the floodgates open. <laughs> yeah. It's totally it. And so after that, I had my surgery and it was a long recovery. It was really rough. Um, I had was it another resection or was that the yeah it was another stone? um it was another resection so that was about four years ago four or five years ago and yeah the recovery was really it was really hard um I had an infection and then I had pneumonia and it was just like it was just forever like and even when I came home like I didn't feel right like I knew I knew this wasn't it. Like, I was like, no, this, this is not going to be the last. Like, I, I feel it. Like, I'm not feeling how I think I should be feeling. But then, you know, it's I ignored day those from the first resection. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, yeah, it was like black and white. Like, it was just completely, yeah, it was complete opposite mm -hmm. experiences. And, you know, I, and a couple months later, I accepted my first teaching position. I was like, yeah, I can do it, you know, and I... I'm teaching kindergartners, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was busy and it was a lot of stress. And then I I actually ended up accepting a full-time position. And then a couple months into that, I was actually in the hospital. I was, I was like 95 pounds. I... 
I could barely stand. Like I could barely walk up the stairs. I could barely take a shower. Like, and that was to the point where I was like, okay, I think, I think I need some medical attention. And it took to that point. Wow. Um, to, to convince myself, like I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. Had you just kind of mentally been telling yourself like, I can get through this. This is, this is nothing. I can get through this. And had you yeah. just kind of been denying, so to speak? Yeah, I think that's really what it was. Um, I just, I'm like I said, I'm stubborn. And I don't think I really realized how sick I was until I look back and I'm like, those, like, seeing pictures. I was, like, very, very tiny. And it, it was quite scary, yeah. So and what happened after, at that point? That point, I was hospitalized for a bit. I had to take um, a medical leave from work. Uh, my doctor was like, listen, you need to reduce your hours at work or else you're going to be back in this hospital bed. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I called my boss and I said, you know, I need to only work mornings or only work afternoons. Like it's, you know, I need to like it kind of to give me a balance. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So I did that and she was, my boss was super supportive. Um, you know, she said, you know, she said, that's what I was going to suggest for you. And, but I'm glad I came to that decision on my own. Um, mm -hmm. with the help of my doctor and I mean the, and then the next two three four years it was it was just a battle to even just get out of the house and leave my house without having an accident um it I lived like that for two three four years and I after that like last year it was before our wedding and I we went into my GI's office and I said like I can't I can't do this anymore um I need like surgery I don't know like we need to try something else because this and had you guys ever talked about um having an ostomy or anything before that point had that ever been part of the conversation or an option was it even in your head it was in my head mm -hmm. it was in my head for I've had that conversation probably like two years prior to my surgery. Um, I do have a lot of friends who are, are like in the medical field. So it's something I've talked to my friends about. And it was actually one of my childhood friends who talked to me about it one time. She said, you know, like Krista, maybe it would benefit you. Like maybe that would be an option. Like maybe something you should look into so I did and I I had asked my doctor my GI about it and they were like no we don't think that would be the best option for you we still think you'd you would have symptoms and then you would have you would suffer with dehydration and all these things and I was like but like does that outweigh the way I'm feeling now like they're not they weren't the one who was living that way and you know when it came to that point I said like I'm living like a 85 year old woman and that's not okay yeah you know so I pushed it and my GI he finally listened and he's like okay you have well, you have two options you have surgery and you'll have an ostomy or we can try we can keep 
try some different medications, different combinations of medication. I'm like, okay, so either like, you know, I was like, well, that's to me, that was just a no brainer. That was just like, okay, I'm ready for it. That's something I've talked about with my husband, with my family, with my friends. I'm like, so, so he said, okay, let's admit you next week. We'll get you, um, admitted just so we could get all the testing done and see like the surgeons, um, the surgeon team and, um, the ET nurses. So it's just so I was in one place. So it was a lot easier for me. I didn't have to travel everywhere. They just came to my bed. Right. Um, and then my surgeon, he didn't want to go through with it. Uh, yeah, my GI was, uh, away on vacation when this was happening and, the surgeon like had to call my GI and was like, are you sure? Like, this is what we're going to do. And she, he said, if that's what she wants to do, we're going to do it. Wow. So that's kind of surprising in a way to hear that you had so much pushback from the medical community when, yeah. I mean, I'm just picturing how, I mean, I've had my miserable times with Crohn's, but it sounds like that was kind of every day for you. And it's mm-hmm. like, kind of hard to believe that they were questioning it even at the moment of surgery. Right. So, you know, and I'm just glad that I just kept advocating and I just kept pushing for what I wanted. And so they went ahead with it and two, I think it was like two weeks after I went, I had a, like a week home before surgery. And that's when I had like my feeding tube and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And two weeks after I had seen the surgeon, I had my surgery and I felt good immediately after. I remember waking up from surgery and being in recovery. Like, first of all, nurses are like amazing. I had, yeah. like, they were so <laughs> helpful. Like, they were, they were so good. And I remember when my husband came into the room. He looked at me and I I couldn't talk. I remember I couldn't talk, but I wanted him to know that I felt good because we had talked about how my surgery before that I, you know, I felt awful and Mm -hmm. I, my recovery right after surgery was awful. Like I couldn't even have my family, like I couldn't have them there because I was so sick. So when he came into the room, I remember I just gave him two thumbs up and I like kind of like kind of looked at him and tried to smile and then he knew uh-huh. he's like he's like I know I can go home tonight and sleep wow. like sh- she's feeling good and within yeah. 24 hours I was up walking wow that's awesome yeah. and yeah. tell me a little bit about how it has transformed your life because everything I've been watching you on Instagram it is just night and day for you to be in this point of having a stoma and living life again. So tell me, tell me how it's changed your life for you. Really? It's just changed like everything. Like my husband and I, we talk about it almost every day. It's like, we're out doing something like, even if we're out for a walk, um, Mm -hmm. uh, he's like, you know, like we couldn't do this before. And like, he's like, or we'll go on a road trip and he'd be like, you know, by now, like, we've been driving for an hour. He's like, we would have had to stop, like, three, four, five times. But, like, 
it's just, you know, even just going to the grocery store, I don't have to like, like kind of like throw him the cart and be like, I need to go to the bathroom. You know, I don't have, like, it's just really everyday things and just being able to like be in the moment because before I was always so worried about finding a bathroom or having an accident or, you know, I was just in so much pain. Like, and I didn't even notice how much pain I was in until I didn't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. I think those things can become consuming and we don't even realize how much they overtake our life until something changes. And it's like, Oh my gosh, what a difference. Well, cause exactly. Cause we're so used to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause we, we deal with those things every day and it just becomes part of our life. And we just don't, think that it would be any different, I guess. So tell me a little bit, you mentioned your husband and I saw a post that you made and you were talking about how last year, or I think a little over a year ago, before you actually had your surgery for the ostomy, that he actually wore an ostomy for a day. Is that correct? Yes. So it was actually for, um, I think it was World Ostomy Day. It was back in October. So I had my ostomy for a while. Not a while. I guess it was like only like six, six months. Um, and I was, I had this crazy idea. I was like, Jason, I was like, I was like, you don't have to. I was like, but I was like, if you would be willing, <laughs> I said, uh -huh. would you wear an, like a bag for a day? Like just to see like what it's like. And he's like, well, of course. It's like, yeah, of course I'll do that. So we went ahead and we did that. And, and like, we did it for a whole day. And he was like, man, that's really, like, irritating to the skin. So he's like, I can't imagine what it would be like to have it, like, consistently on your skin. And, you know, things like that. But he said for this year, he wants to do it again, but he said that mm -hmm. he wants to have more of a real experience. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so, what are you going to do this time? <laughs> well, actually, um, sometimes before um, you get your ostomy surgery, when you go to see your ET nurse, they suggest that you wear an ostomy bag out and about like you know, doing your normal like activities, you know, out in public or, or wherever mm -hmm. it is, but to actually fill it with like applesauce. So it like has kind of the consistency of what it would be like, you know, when your bag fills up and how that feels like with your clothes and that sort of thing. So we didn't, he didn't do any of that. So he was like, you know, I think maybe to try, you know, to like, you know, a little bit more realistic instead of just having yeah. it there and I didn't really position it in the right spot because I was like well I don't want to like hurt you know because of like you know because men they have you know um body hair right like yeah. so Be waxing I, like, them when you <laughs> when you take it off <laughs> and that's never that's something I didn't even really take into into consideration before I was like oh well men probably have to shave around their stoma but yeah. anyway so yeah I think it really kind of opened his eyes to, you know, just having something there and yeah. That's pretty awesome. And you guys have been together a long time. So he's been through a lot with you. It sounds like eight years together and a year of marriage. So tell me, what are some of the, the lessons you've learned over the years? Cause he's been through thick and thin with you. How have you learned 
to communicate about Crohn's disease with him and tell me a little bit about what some of the support that he's given you over the years that's been most valuable to you. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, well, really, it like on our first date, um, I didn't have any intentions on telling um, telling Jason about um, my Crohn's disease because, like I said back then, like when I first met him, I wasn't having all these crazy symptoms. Like they were they were manageable. Like I could hide them quite easily. Like it didn't affect um, my day to day life or anything like that. Um, but we just had a good connection and we, we just spent the whole night talking for hours and it kind of just came up and, you know, I just, it wasn't forced. And that since day one, we've, it was something we talked about. Um, and you know, from there it was just, we, I mean, we're not perfect. We, some, you know, sometimes, lack communication in different, you know, in different areas. Um, mm -hmm. But with, you know, with managing my disease, you know, he's really good at kind of reading what I need or what I want. And he knows, um, you know, how I work. So whereas I don't have to, like, always explain to him, you know, I don't feel well, I, I need this, I need that. He kind of just knows. Um, mm -hmm. That's and awesome. Yeah, I guess... And, you know, we always just communicate, like, what we need or, um, and he's just, he's so supportive. Like, he, he's so kind and he's so patient and he just, he always wants to help. Like, he knows that I like to have a really clean, like, I like to everything to be organized and I like things to be tidy. So he knows if I'm stressed out with, you know, and I'm too tired to do those things, he'll get up early in the morning to do those things for me and you know just helping out in those things and I think you know being you know having a chronic illness sometimes you don't have enough spoons for those things yeah. and, <laughs> and just having somebody recognize that sometimes you just don't have the energy to do it and that they pick up that slack I think that's, that's awesome. important yeah really awesome so let's switch gears for just a little bit and tell me, I love talking about food. It's one of the <laughs> things I love to talk about, even though I don't eat a wide variety, but right. what's it like having, kind of tell me a little bit how things have maybe changed over the years. If there were certain foods that you found that were safe foods for you to eat, if there were different things you tried that worked or didn't work. And then how, how about now? Is there anything you have to watch that you eat now? Yeah, for sure. Um, over like when I was first diagnosed, I really I didn't have much problems with a lot of foods. Like you know, it was um, you know things like raw carrots and apples with the peel. Those things would bother me. Like would cause um, like severe bloating and like it was it was awful. So I would stay away from those foods completely. But you know, cooked, um, really cooked vegetables was fine. And mostly I could eat pretty much what I wanted. Mm -hmm. It was just after my second bowel resection where I, I felt so restricted because I was going to the bathroom about 20, 25 times a day. So like, 
I was eating just anything that I could stomach really. Cause I was always, I was so nauseous all the time. So it was, I would stick to like white bread, crackers, soup, rice, mm-hmm. you know, all those, you know, I would make smoothies to go to work, things like that. Um, but it was, it was hard to even stomach anything and a lot, everything caused pain, everything. It didn't matter. So I just felt like sometimes it was just easier not to eat because then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have to go to the bathroom as much and then I wouldn't be in so much pain. Um, mm-hmm. But then after my surgery, it was like I could enjoy so much food again. <laughs> it was, I was so excited. Like, What was the um, first thing you ate? <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't even remember, but like my aunt had sent me a basket and it had like cookies in it and it had like banana bread. And like, I was just so excited. I was like, I doesn't even matter. Like I was just excited to have anything Um, like fruit. And, um, but it was quite, it was a little bit restricted at the beginning. Um, You had to be careful with, you know, like stringy food or anything that has like a casing on it, like, or seeds or anything like that. Um, but I've slowly started to introduce, um, like I can have some nuts. Like I, I try to do them in small, like just like a handful mm-hmm. and then um, drinking like some um, sparkling water or anything like that. Just because with a stoma, like it, 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 you can get blockages really easily. So you need to make sure that you chew like really um, really carefully. So I just make sure to do that. Um, and I started to introduce some salads. Um, I mean, it doesn't have a whole lot of raw vegetables in it, but (laughs) it has cucumbers and, you know, Mm -hmm. I can have a few things in there. So I'm slowly starting to, you know, introduce those things and it's quite exciting to be able to enjoy food and yeah. Well, yeah, because food is such a big part of life, too, that it's if you go on vacation, it's always about food. If people come over, it's always about food. (laughs) So it's like it's a it's a social thing, right? Or, you know, like, you know, to catch up and reconnect with people. So and especially when I go back home, um, it's my whole family gets together and we, you know, we, we do, you know, lobster boils and all those things. So. It's like now I can enjoy without having to worry. Yeah. That's awesome. And do you still take medications even after the surgery? I do. So I'm still on a very high dose um, of medication. So I'm actually um, on a dual um, biologic um, treatment approach. So I am on Stilera and Intivio. um, Mm -hmm. And I take those every four weeks. Okay. And, and it sounds also, like, go ahead. And I also um, take methotrexate. So it's, it's quite, okay. yeah, it's quite a high dose. You're coming at it with uh, the heavy artillery. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, bringing everything on it. But it sounds like it's doing very good things for you because you just recently had, um, you were just in the hospital for, I don't know if they were doing an endoscope or a different scope, but you said it was the first time that things actually were looking really good. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I actually had it on Tuesday. I had an, 
um, ilioscopy. So they actually, instead of a colonos colonoscopy, they put um, they, the scope through um, the stoma. Okay. And um, <laughs> yeah, like I, I never really thought that, like I didn't think they would do that. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so I, I got those results back and it was actually my GI who, who did the scope for me. And like, I've never had scans relatively clear like that ever. So I was pretty excited. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you've gone through, you've spent, it sounds like most of your life battling flares so with that much time in flares and fighting symptoms, are there certain things that you've found or that you've learned over the years that have really been able to help you to feel better at certain times or to kind of just pull yourself through some of those symptoms when they start acting up a little bit? Mm. Yeah, really is to kind of just step back and to slow down and I'm, I'm slowly getting better at doing that, um, to recognize, you know, that I'm tired and that to try to listen to my body and what it needs and not to feel guilty about, um, taking a sick day at work, you know, um, I'm lucky, mm -hmm. um, that I have, that I have that option at work, you know, that I, I can take sick days. Some people don't have it. So, you know, I'm trying to listen to my body more and if I need the rest, if I, feel like you know I can't I can't go to work today and you know that's okay um mm -hmm. you know so really just to take a step back is really the best and just I rest a lot <laughs> yeah. which uh you probably I would imagine you probably have to rest every day you come home from work uh that you are chasing kindergartners around <laughs> yeah <All day. laughs> yeah they, they tire me out <laughs> how do you balance um kind of being able to balance such a stressful job that I'm sure you love and enjoy but it is stressful and exhausting how how else do you kind of balance that it is and um, do you have any tips for teachers <laughs> <laughs> well I'm I guess what really helps me have a balance um is that I I do work part-time and I I continue to work part-time just because I need to put my health first because if I'm not healthy, then I can't do my job. And I'm not someone who only, like I need, to, I like to put my 110% into what I'm doing. So if I can't do that, then <laughs> I don't want to do it. You know, I, I want to do it. I don't want to do it right. Um, so I do, I spend I spend my morning, I go into work, um, and I do stay a couple hours after work, but it allows me to, you know, I can leave work at one o'clock and that's me staying a couple hours to, you know, do lesson plans, um, meet with parents, phone parents, meet, you know, meetings with my admin team or, you know, um, so it gives me that flexibility. And I think also being open with my coworkers and just so I have their support. So I know 
so, you know, if I have a day, if I need to call in sick or I need to leave early, like they're super accommodating and someone will cover my class. So it's really, I think, being open about it too. Was it hard to be open about it with them or was that something that you always kind of naturally just ended up talking about and was open from the beginning? Um, well, my first teaching position, um, I was quite open about it because I was experiencing like incontinence a lot. So I need to, I needed to let my, um, my admin team know that, you know, if I might need them to cover my class, those sorts of things. So Mm -hmm. I kind of had to be upfront about it right away. Um, but I was lucky that they were super supportive and, and then I, I switched schools after my surgery. Um, so this, the year that I just finished was at a new school with whole new, like, like work team and all that. Um, so I did decide to tell, um, my boss but it's not, <laughs> but, um, I, it, I didn't like, I didn't go for an interview. I was just placed there. So it was like my job to begin with. So it wasn't like, I went into an interview and said, Hey, I have an ostomy. I have Crohn's. I mm-hmm. only kind of told her, um, right before the school year started, just as a heads up, because when I was hired, I was actually still recovering from surgery. I was not back to work. So when I met with her, I was actually still not back at work, but I didn't tell her then. Like I only waited till the very beginning of the year. So I just said, as a heads up, I was like, I'm feeling really great. But if I have an ostomy, like if for some reason I have a leak in class, I will need some assistance. That was just kind of why I was letting her know. Um, But super supportive and I've told a couple of my co-workers that are in the same hallway as me so you know if I do need somebody to cover my class or you know something happens that I have that support. It's pretty awesome that you've had such great support it sounds like your entire life from even just being a kid and then all the different the different jobs and positions and the places you've been you've really been lucky to have such an incredible support system with you it sounds like along the way yeah for sure like I'm I'm super grateful for that because you know that really makes a huge difference um you know in your recovery and all of that and your outlook on life too you know with a chronic illness it's important to have you know supportive people to lift you up when when you need them it does So speaking of support, our IBD community is absolutely amazing and incredibly supportive. So tell me a little bit how you've been, kind of what compelled you because you are an active voice out there and you're advocating and you're giving that support just as much as you've received it throughout your whole life. So tell me what compelled you to start sharing your story and to be an advocate for IBD? Um, really it was back, um, when I was quite sick. So it was before my ostomy surgery. Um, I think a couple years before that I had started, um, just kind of sharing and just blogging a little bit. I was writing, um, and sharing with uh, my friends on Facebook, just kind of reality, like what was my day to day like and struggles that I was having 
And I received like so many positive um, messages and feedback. And I've had like so many messages in my, in my inbox saying, you know, like, I didn't even know, like, you had Crohn's, like, I didn't know, you know, thank you for mm -hmm. sharing, like, I know so-and-so who has Crohn's, you know, so I connected with a lot of people, and I, that got me thinking, like, well, maybe I should just, like, do, start a, an Instagram account, um, just sharing that, so if people are interested, they can follow, like, just to kind of show them, because I was tired of having to explain to everybody, like, this is what I'm dealing with, and you know, I just so always like, okay, I'm just going to share it on here. If they want to follow, that's great. If not, like, I'm not, I won't be upset because, I mean, I'm mm -hmm. talking about poop all the time, right? So, <laughs> so Not everyone wants to follow that. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, so then I started sharing and it just kind of like just blew up. Um, people were interested and people were, I was connecting with different people from all around the world and. And then I had my ostomy surgeon. I was like, well, I might as well keep sharing. So I just kept sharing. And um, from sharing, it's just allowed to, like, it's just opened so many opportunities. And, um, you know, in the end, it's kind of helped me more, um, just helped me, you know, sharing and connecting with people and being able to relate with people. So really in the end, it, it ended up helping me more, I think, than, than anything. That's awesome, though. I mean, it's so great to be able to to share, but to receive that, too. So it's yeah. a win-win, I think. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you also do a lot of, you do some volunteering with the Crohn's and Colitis Canada. Is that correct? Yes, I've done a little bit. Um, I've done, like in the past, um, I've done like um, I volunteered for like the gutsy walks. Um, mm -hmm. and also they used to do like barbecues and stuff. So I used to do that in my hometown. Very nice. Yeah. So what are some of the things you've learned since you've been sharing your disease and talking about it and being more involved with the community? And what are some of the things you've learned just with other people? Do you think some people still have a hard time talking about it and then do you think your view of the disease has changed and kind of evolved over the years? Hmm, yeah, um, for sure. Like, you know, before uh, I, I, you know, I've always been somebody to never um, let my disease kind of come in to the way of anything. Like I never want to use it as an excuse. Um, but, you know, I always push through, push through. and But now, I guess, realizing, like, how sick I was before that, you know, sometimes it's not, <laughs> you shouldn't push through. Sometimes you need yeah. to listen, you know, to your body and, and um, you know, to, so I think, you know, it's been kind of a blessing. Um, in disguise, you know, getting really sick and that, because now I can, I know, I know my body a lot more. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that's helped a lot. That is, it definitely makes a difference as we continue to learn and kind of finally accept the fact that we have to rest <laughs> and we yes. kind of have to do some of these things that we try to just power through. <laughs> it's not yeah, always exactly. the best. <laughs> yeah. So tell me if, if people want to keep up with you and follow your journey, 
where can they find you online? Do you still have your blog? I know you have an Instagram, but tell me about where, where people can follow. Yeah. So I, um, I only have my Instagram, so I'm quite active on there. Um, I find it's just easier to have all my thoughts in one spot. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, it's at my dot gut dot instinct, um, on Instagram and you can find me there and yeah, I'd love to have, have you guys join me. Awesome. And is there anything we covered quite a bit? So is there anything that I did not ask that, that you wanted to share? Oh gosh, I don't think so. I think we covered quite a bit. <laughs> we covered everything. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I like to do very thorough uh, interviews here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Krista, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and for taking the time to be an advocate and share your story and spread more awareness about IBD. And so thank you for joining me today and visiting. I appreciate it. Oh, great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Crohn'sFitnessFood or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.cronesfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.